0: Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, we are exploring the underlying reasons why we clutter our lives and how we can find ways to avoid overbuying and let go. This conversation is a short clip from one of our most popular and important episodes to date, episode 158, where I speak with bestselling author and the founder of Los Angeles' leading decluttering firm, Declutterfly, the wonderful Tracy McCubbin, to help you discover the root of your clutter problems. In Tracy's first book, Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need. She shares how clutter stems from emotional clutter blocks, which she defines as the mind traps that we can get stuck in when we find it difficult to let go of our things. And in her latest writing, Make Space for Happiness, How to Stop Attracting Clutter and Start Magnetizing the Life You Want, Tracy goes a layer deeper by observing our emotional clutter magnets, which she describes as when we buy things in an attempt to fill our emotional needs. You will be challenged to think about the emotional clutter blocks or magnets in your life and be motivated to adopt the habits you need to let go and build a clutter-free life. Be inspired to start making space for more happiness. You said that seeing our stuff is the first step to eliminate it. I was like, I love that because I actually interviewed uh, Lighty Klotz, who wrote the book Subtract. And Mm -hmm. he argues that when it comes to the phrase, we should start, stop, and go, we should change it to stop, start, and go. We need to stop, we need to reflect, and we need to evaluate why we are here. Like, why is it a mess? How do we get here? And this goes into your first book, Making Space Clutter-Free. You share how clutter stems from what you call emotional clutter blocks now. Can you share a couple of the most common ones that you see and how we can work through these areas? Absolutely. So
1: when I realized, when I started, I was like, I'm having the same conversation with client after client, that there are these universal stories that we tell ourselves about why we can't let go. And they're everything from clutter block number one to my stuff keeps me stuck in the past. You know, Mm -hmm. that was, you know, clothes I used to fit into. I'm 57 Wow. Almost, almost Gen X boomer here, but my body's changed. I'm, it's so funny. I'm the exact same weight. It's just gravity moved it. There's clothes I'm not going to fit into. And instead of beating myself up, it's like, no, 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 I'm still here. I've had an amazing life. Okay. That skirt doesn't fit. Let me give it to my niece, you know, but holding onto it. I see so many people, I have to get back to that weight. That was the weight I was when X, Y, or Z happened. And it's like, what you're telling yourself with that is that your best days were behind you, and I'm like, no, no, no. We look forward, we we go forward. So that's a, a great one. Clutter block number six: the stuff I keep paying for. Why I spent really good money on this, I can't let go of it. You know, this was really expensive. I joke all the time that I go into clients' bedrooms and they'll have this giant treadmill smack dab in the middle of the bedroom, and I'm like, do you use it? And they're like, oh, every day. To hang my clothes on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's that we hang on, like sometimes we just made a bad purchase. Sometimes we're human. We do a thing. We make a bad purchase. You know, and then we hold on to it to beat ourselves up. One of my other favorite ones, and you'll love this, is clutter block number five. I'm not worth my good stuff. And this mm-hmm. is like not wearing your nice blouses, not burning the fancy candles, not using the china, having all this stuff that you deem is too nice to use. And I'm like, use it. Wear the nice blouse. Wear yes. the cute shoes. Put the good lipstick on. Like, if not today, when? If not today, when? Mm-hmm. And I think that one, people just get so stuck in. Ugh, just, I'm like, wear your pretty stuff. Feel amazing in it. Mm-hmm.
0: That actually was my favorite quote growing up. If not now, when? <laughs> <laughs> right. If not now, when, Yeah. if not
1: now, when,
0: yeah. you know, and I I think
1: I did a little thing on Instagram that was so cute. Like the kind of hide of the lockdown, you know, I was like, everybody let's have pizza on our nice plates tonight. Like we've been stuck in our house for a year and everyone like, like showed little teacups and a piece of pizza or a cookie. And I'm like, why not? Why not serve yourself on your China? Why have it if you're not going to use it?
0: This is so true. I mean, I think that most people, they have a dining space, which first of all, how often do we actually use our dining room? I mean, we have a kitchen (laughs) where we have our, our dining table, but then we have a dining room, which we use maybe twice a year. And what's funny is we have this beautiful china and silverware that just sits there throughout the year collecting dust. And I always think, oh, can I use this glass? And You know, my mom would be like, no, you can't use that one. That's the nice stuff. It's like, well, what's the point of having it if you're not going to use it? Exactly. I had two girlfriends
1: over for dinner two weeks ago and we hadn't seen each other in like seven or eight years. So it was a big reunion. A friend came in from the UK and, you know, I just made a roast chicken and a salad and, but I brought out my, you know, the nice China I inherited from my mom and they were like, Why are you? And I'm like, because this is special. I haven't seen you. We haven't been in a room together in seven years. Like, okay, you know, this is so nice. And they're like, but aren't you afraid it's good? I'm like, and then it breaks. Yeah. Who cares? Like, it does. Like, what are, and I think that, you know, we, And I think this is very interesting for millennials to understand that Mm -hmm. the idea of collecting is a very modern idea. It really came into play with the advent of the middle class and post-World War II. And so people were showing, oh, look, I make a good living. I have money. I'm going to collect this stuff. So I'm going to buy Yadro and I'm going to buy Hummels and I'm going to buy objects just to show that I can buy them. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to flip the conversation is you have all these beautiful things, use them. Maybe they break. Okay. You Mm -hmm. know, like enjoy them. Enjoy that. If not today, when?
0: Yes. I love this mentality that you share in. I think that a lot of people in in the baby boomer generation, they, they learn to collect all these items and save all these items. And uh, Gen Y, arguably, millennials, myself, we learned to, oh, we don't really need that stuff. And then Gen Z, they're like, we don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I can't tell you how many of my boomer clients are so
1: mad. Like, they're angry. They're like, my son's daughter-in-law doesn't want my China. I'm like, Okay. She's like, yeah. she has to take it. I'm like, no, she doesn't. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And that, and then also, I think that millennials and Gem Y and Zen Z are, you know, they're starting to see that. Like, they're seeing all this stuff in the thrift stores. They're seeing it all in the consignment stores, and they're like, oh, but if I take it, I'm just. It's it's just there's so much of it. Like, why is it so special? Because it's actually not. Like, if anybody's tried to shop old China it's not that expensive. Like mm-hmm. you can find it. And so I think we're realizing like, oh, this is has a life. And where does it go after this? I, I love, that's one of the things that I love about the generations below me, like the thrift store shopping and the buying secondhand and like, do I really need it? And, you know, it, it's so funny because I feel like boomers sort of say, oh, well, you know, the kids today, everything's so disposable. And I'm like, actually, I don't think so. I think it's more that they just don't collect
0: in the same yeah. way. Yeah. It's an interesting cycle, but it's it's good to see that that is changing, right? We're we're letting go a lot more. We're learning to let go, which is great. And and in this this first book, I mean, so in response to making space clutter-free, you talk about how after the release in 2019, everyone was getting excited. They started decluttering, especially during the pandemic, and you helped so many people during the pandemic, but you realize in that process that people that were decluttering were still overbuying, which inspired your latest book, Make Space for Happiness, and you go a layer deeper by sharing that there are seven emotional clutter magnets So again, there's seven emotional clutter blocks and now seven emotional clutter magnets, which you describe as when we buy excess things in an attempt to feel our emotional goals, like true connection, big love, confidence, and purpose. Now, of these seven emotional clutter magnets, what would you say is the most common magnet that causes us to buy what we don't need or what feeling are we seeking the most?
1: Yeah, I think I would probably have to say strong self-confidence that we're buying things to feel better about ourselves. I mean, look, I'm a woman, I'm a woman in menopause. It feels like everything I buy has the word anti-aging stamped on it. Like this little bottle, this look, and I love skincare. I love taking care of my skin. I, you know, I love all of it, but nothing if they had figured out the magic potion we would it wouldn't be for sale on Instagram for 29.99 you know we yeah. would know about it and you look at a woman like Sharon Stone you know i see her on Instagram not wearing makeup and you know she's probably had some stuff done but she hasn't gone to an extreme and she's not afraid like she's 62 she's Like this idea that we have to stop aging and look like we were thirty. It's just such a bill of goods that's sold to women, and you know. And I so I think that that idea of magnetizing our self confidence through the stuff we buy it, it doesn't stick with you. It just it's that's not where your confidence comes from. Your confidence comes from what good are you doing in the world? How are you helping your community? How are you? being better for the planet. That's where you get self-confidence. You want to feel good about yourself, go once a week to your elderly neighbors and take their trash cans out. Like That will make you feel better than any neck cream in the world. Um, That's a big one that I see. The other one that I see a lot is true connection, that we mistake buying and shopping for Truly, we either use it to avoid it, we're feeling lonely. So we go sh- online shopping, we, you know, we s- retail therapy, we go shopping with a friend, you know, that we've kind of put this idea that shopping makes us feel better, which it does because we get a little dopamine hit but the Mm -hmm. dopamine hit doesn't last. So we're like, oh, I got to buy more. And it's like, and then you're buying more and then you're buying more. And then like online shopping, you get the dopamine hit when you put it in the cart, when you buy it, when the package shows up and you just get in this cycle of acquiring to try and feel better. And it doesn't work.
0: Hmm. Hmm. I mean, that you you point out two things. One thing it made you made me think about is how yes, we're constantly being told by marketing messages that we're not good enough. And even at I'm almost thirty six, I am being told you need all of these creams. You're getting old. You need anti aging. You know, I even go into a store. They're they're referring me to all the anti aging products, and I'm like my goodness, if I could could fall down this rabbit (laughs) hole if I choose to, but thank goodness I'm more mindful and realizing that most of that stuff is the inside out anyways, just wear sunscreen. We interviewed a dermatologist recently, but it's interesting because it's those emotional fears like, okay, I want to feel beautiful. You know, I don't have this confidence. It's like, I want to buy all these products that will make me beautiful when really you got to find that in other ways. And something else you pointed out in your book, which I found fascinating is I think that a lot of people who overbuy or buy things for brand names and whatnot, they're going out there because maybe they're lonely and they want to interact with the retail salesperson. There are people yeah. who overbuy just to have that connection because they don't have a lot of people in their lives. So they're like, "Oh, I'll go buy more things from you because you you make me feel special when I do that." So that's absolutely. Cool. And the you know, and the other side of that same coin, Kelly,
1: is this social media marketing that you're like, "Oh, my friend on social media." Well, they're not your friend. You just what are they? There's a word for it where they're your social parasocial bestie. That's oh, word. parasocial bestie. So that you become so familiar with someone on social media that you think that you're friends. And that, so it's like, oh, my friend, Alex Earl is telling me to buy this bloom powder. Mm. Well, Alex Earl's telling you to buy the powder because the powder is paying her a lot of money to tell you. you know. And so we got really um, mixed up thinking that they're selling to us. And, you know, I think this idea to, and and again, this full circles back to what we were talking about, you know, and this is what I talk so much about in make space, uh, make space for happiness is I'm not saying you're never going to shop again. I'm not saying you're never going to need things, but if you find yourself over accumulating, over buying, start to pay attention, stop, start to pay attention to what you're feeling in that moment you know, do you online shop because you're stressed about work? You do you, you know, what's emotionally going on? Oh, and I really wanted to say this to you, Kelly. One of the best things for anti-aging, all the longevities have shown it, friendships. Ah. That is one of the best things they have done. They have studied people in their hundreds and they have found that constant low impact exercise. Walking, you know, doing some kind of brain game, crossword puzzles, mahjong. But the biggest indicator of longevity is social connection, Mm. friendships. That's the best anti aging.
0: I love that so much. You actually mentioned how. A lot of people are lonely and it's because of that loneliness that they end up over shopping. You said, quote, we lean on coping strategies like shopping to avoid being alone, but we need more connection with others, not more stuff. So I pulled that. I was like, that is so powerful. That's so true. And the other thing that's so
1: interesting with that too, is I think that this is where social media feeds in. Like you don't feel – years and years ago, I had a friend who smoked – and I know everyone's like, pencils dropping, what? <laughs> you know, the smoking era, cigarettes. And she used to say that the thing about she never felt lonely when she was smoking, because if she was a party and didn't know anybody, she could go out on the patio and have a cigarette and she looked cool. Or if she was home alone on a Saturday night, she was smoking a cigarette, not home alone. And I think that That is what social media is like, well, I'm not alone. I'm scrolling through Instagram or I'm on TikTok, that we're sort of avoiding how lonely we all feel Mm -hmm. and that we're not, you know. Connecting with others, and we are pack animals, we are tribal, we need to connect. And I just think we fall down. So then it's this like, oh, I'm not alone, I'm really lonely, but I don't think that I am because I'm on social media. And then these people who I think are my friends, my parasocial besties, are telling me to buy things. And so then I'm buying things. And then you're in this Mobius strip that just
0: ends you up with too much stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard this this quote, but uh, the minimalist T.K. Coleman, he always says that physical clutter is a manifestation of internal clutter. And in your books, you, you reinforce this idea by sharing how people buy things in an attempt to escape our problems. And I'm curious, can you share an example of how you've helped a client with maybe a shopping addiction work through their emotional clutter magnet? You know, I had, uh, I, I have a couple great ones. I have a personal one. I, oh, wow. la- a
1: couple weekends ago, went. Shopping at the outlets with a family member who triggers a lot of stuff. And I was very sort of blase, like, oh, this will be, it's fine. You know, da da Hadn't sort of been in this experience with them. And I found myself shopping like a drunken sailor. Like I was like, and everything was final sale. And I was like, buying, 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 buying. And I got in my car and I literally had a stuff hangover. I was like, what happened? What? And I was like, oh right. That was emotionally challenging. That that was super triggering. That was all sorts of awful things. And I didn't take care of myself. And I tried to shop those feelings away. And now I feel worse. Mm -hmm. So I sat with it and I was like, okay, next time. Can't return it because you, you know, you bought it on final sale. I wear it. It's it's fine. But, you know, uh, it's next time You're either going to not put yourself in that situation, like let's do something else. Let's not go shopping. Give myself a budget. You got $100 to blow. Blow it away. Call a friend. Like I didn't set myself up for success and I was trying to shop the problems away. And so many times when I deal with people who have a shopping addiction, because it's very real shopping problem, what's missing in your life? What Mm -hmm. are you running from? Are you unhappy in your partnership? Are you unhappy in your job? You know, I had this woman, and it's such a visual, and we will all relate to this. She was in a super stressful job, and she said every day after work, she would go to you know, like a discount, like Marshall's or, you know, one of those, I don't know if you have them in Canada, but you know, one of those discount, yeah, one of those discount stores. And she was like, and she said, you know, and I would just, the like, click, 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 click of the hangers, like would, would calm me down because I knew I was going to find a bargain and I was going to treat myself. And then when I went to her house, she had a whole room that was full of Marshall's bags with the clothes still in them. Like she never ended up even wearing them. She just, the process of, of shopping made her feel better for a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, you know, it was, I don't know, $5,000, $10,000, like some, some large sum of money that she never wore that we just ended up donating. And I was like, okay, but we can do this. I can take this away. But until we talk about what you're going to replace that behavior with, it's going to happen again. Like, you know, can you go to the gym after work? Can you, you know, volunteer and read at a library? Like, is what you've got to replace that behavior and you've got to figure out what drove you there because if we just declutter and don't talk about it, you're just going to buy it all over again.
0: Gosh. And so you asked her, what are your interests? What are the other things that you can do to keep busy instead? I mean, again, that feeling that we get when we buy stuff is so fleeting. It does not so- last.
1: 17 seconds. I think Matt, I think, I think it the studies have shown 17 to 20 seconds. That's so short. That's so short. And then you see your credit yeah. card, Bill,
0: and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I
1: doing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think it's also, but I think it's you said something interesting. It's it's even a little bit deeper than what can you do to keep busy? It's also what's not fulfilling. So for this mm-hmm. woman, her work wasn't fulfilling. And you know, she made a good salary. And I was like, well, maybe your purpose. You know, which we try and magnetize through buying stuff. Maybe your purpose, your work is just your work. And maybe you can find your purpose in volunteering, being of service. Like maybe your purpose doesn't, you know, for a lot of people, their purpose doesn't come from their work. But we all need a purpose. So where do you look to find that?
0: Hey, I mean, what I love about your your book is that you share so many stories. And I'm always excited for the next story that you're gonna share. You've you've I mean, you've been doing this for 15 years. <laughs> You're an endless book, but you do share one that really stuck with me. It was one about someone who had lost their dance studio. I think it was over the pandemic and they placed a lot of their self-worth on that studio that they owned. And when they didn't have it, they started resorting to buying all these skincare products because they're like, okay, well, my value is my beauty. And so I need to keep youthful. And wow, like that hit me because in my previous life, I used to be a model. And so I, I'm so happy that I transitioned from those experiences at the age of 24 because uh, yeah. I didn't want that to be my value come in my mid 30s and 40s, and that's really hard for someone because you're you're thinking, okay, that's my value. Then I need to do everything I can to stay youthful, and that's unhealthy, right? So it's super unhealthy. I mean, she, you know, she was so lost and over
1: shopping, and you know, it was like, and, and I don't want to say it was a simple solution, but I was like, "Why are you not teaching a dance class in the park, like mm-hmm. everybody else? It's the it's LA, and it's like." She was like, "Oh," and she just mm-hmm. started teaching what she loved. And you know, I just heard from her recently; like, she's getting ready to rent another state. You can always reinvent yourself. I have this sto- another client who, I think at the time, she was eighty or eighty five, and she was she was like in the era of Mad Men. The advertising agencies. Okay. She like climbed her way to the She was the first woman to win. Ad Man of the Year. They wow. didn't even rename it for her. She was the first woman to to win it. And she tells this story that she went to go accept her award and it was held at a club in LA. They didn't allow women as members. So to go accept her Ad Man of the Year award, she had to take the freight elevator. They wouldn't let her in the main elevator. Um, so she went up in the freight elevator and there was like a trash cans in the way. And she was like, I held my head high and I walked into my ball gown and I was like, I don't, I'm in this room no matter what. But when I was decluttering your house, she kept buying all these like exercise gadgets, like Hmm. just, and I was like, you know Yes, of course you want to stay fit and she wanted to keep healthy, but it was like an, oh, and she's like, oh, I just, I got to get my weight down. I got to, you know, it's just like all the conversations were about her physical appearance. And I was like, there's this whole part of your, like your whole part of your life that you're not taking in. Like you're so obsessed with how you look and not mm-hmm. staying healthy. And we really unpacked that. And she started volunteering at the, like the local Better Business Bureau, SBA, like a business organization to mentor young women who are starting their own business. And I was like, there you go. Yes. There you go. Like take your life experience and give it back to someone that is going to make you feel so much better than a thigh
0: master. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we're not using that thought. She she probably wasn't using that anyways, right? We had no, all the this. Excitement. She was going
1: to exercise class at the senior center. She wasn't <laughs> even using it. That was, they were all new in boxes.
0: Yeah. I always say people are going to see you as more beautiful anyways, when you've done all these things and you have all these stories to share and you have this beautiful energy about you. That is the most beautiful thing. Who cares about a few wrinkles? Like you, that means that you've lived, you've had experiences. And that's something that I really, really love to push.
1: Kelly, I do. I want to, I always tell people, how do you feel standing naked in an empty room? Yeah, that's a challenge. like, how do you feel standing naked in an empty room? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your life? How do you feel about the choices you've made? How do you feel standing naked in an empty room?
0: Yeah, I I hope our listeners are trying to answer that question. I, I You know what? I always say that when I'm talking about, I value people who have lived and have gone through hardship and have taken risks in their life. I really do. And I, it goes back to the idea of, Everybody's naked in a room, you know, what's going to be the most interesting thing or the people that have the most interesting stories to share and the best energy and the confidence, right? It's not about the things that you own, right? It's not all the stuff that you've accumulated that makes me attracted to you. It's the energy, right? At the end of the day, we're all people. These are just things that we add to our lives. I I heard this. I was at a funeral for my
1: godmother this week, who was lived to be ninety four, and of course it wow. was beautiful. And she went in her sleep, and I'm sad for me, but she was very ready to go. And you know, and the rabbi who held the service, he said I had never heard this before. He said, "We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience." Mm. And I was like, right, like. The like we get so mucked and mired in the stuff because that's the human experience. But the connecting and these conversations and the seeing of friends and the making of friendships that's the spiritual, that's the spiritual experience. And yeah. uh, you know, and whatever your faith or lack of faith, you know, whatever that is totally aside, but that at the end, you're not going to think back about what you bought. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about my grandparents who I was very close to, and I was missing my grandmother a lot. And I don't know what, I was like, I can't remember one thing they ever bought me. And I know they bought me gifts. I know they sent me birthday, but I can't remember what. I can remember cooking in the kitchen. I can remember being taught to sew. I can Mm -hmm. remember watching Jeopardy with my grandma. I can remember all of the experiences, but I cannot tell you, I, I can't tell you one thing they bought for me.
0: Oh wow. That's good.
1: I mean that's that's, that's how great. we want it to
0: be, right? That's I mean-
1: yeah, that's exactly how we want it to be. And as you, you know, you, that's the that's exactly how you want it to be.
0: When everybody and when anybody asks me what's what's the best uh, reward that you gain from letting go of all the stuff, I always say it's self confidence. Number one, you get fully you fully understand who you are. You get there. Obviously, you're always learning, but you get to a place where you have this inner peace. And the second piece is I gained space back to connect with others. You have this greater sense of connection, and you start to turn outwards. It's not about personal development. You're just focused on you. It's about Focusing outward and then helping others and leading the way for others, and I think that's the big, biggest benefit. So, yeah, absolutely. I to Look,
1: there's, that. there's no. I mean, the book is called "Make Space for Happiness" for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's opening the space up. That what makes you happy? Because if you're mucked and mired in the stuff you can't see a potential partner you can't see a job change you can't see you know you you're so distracted mm-hmm. and so again it's that thing of like it's not about focusing on what you're letting go of it's focusing on what you're going to gain when you let go
0: yeah people will be surprised about how much you gain when you let go they think oh we're just losing no 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 you're actually gaining Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with the insightful and energetic Tracy McCubbin. And if you enjoyed this short snippet, you can check out the full conversation in episode 158, where Tracy and I speak further about practical steps you can take to solve your clutter problems. Plus, we discussed some alarming stats to show how clutter is impacting the environment and much more. And you can find this quick link in the show notes. I also highly recommend reading both of Tracy's books, which include Making Space Clutter-Free and Make Space for Happiness. Both of these reads are packed with relatable stories as well as practical ways to help you discover and resolve the potential emotional clutter blocks or emotional clutter magnets in your life. And you can learn more about Tracy, her services at Declutterfly, and her decluttering worksheets by checking out the links in our show notes. And lastly, to close, as always, I want to thank those of you who have taken a moment to write us a kind five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Your reviews really keep us excited to keep putting out more episodes, and they really help our podcast grow and bring on more exciting guests like Tracy. So thanks again for listening, and I will speak with you next week. Bye-bye.